0: The British, British the dream. British dream below our oh, yeah. expectations. We're about to be a poor country. We're about to be a country. Wonderful to be here. The British dream podcast. Join us. Powerful people as we launch our despicable acts like these and a sickening and barbaric politics. What I hate about this up in is that it's so violent. Oh, when the next phase of this disaster comes, Order! Order! they will come for you. Order! Order!
1: Order! Hello, and um, welcome to the British dream. Vice's politics podcast. My name is Simon Childs, Home Affairs Editor at Vice.com.
0: You some Try to calm down. You should pay some damages. And behave like an...
1: Today we're chatting with Dan Hancocks. Dan is a writer from London covering politics, music and cities. His book, Inner City Pressure, The Story of Grime, is about the scene that gave us Stormzy, Dizzy Rascal, Skepta and many, many more. But it's about more than a scene. In fact, it's been described as the first real history of 21st century London. In the book, Dan links the rise of grime with the development of the politics of Britain, and more specifically London. Gentrification, protests, parties and the police. I spoke to Dan earlier this week. The sun was beating down and it felt kind of appropriate to talk about the state's relationship with youth subculture in the middle of an East London heatwave. Yeah, obviously your book's like primarily about grime, but I kind of wanted to kick off by asking you about drill music and the recent sort of censorship of that by the state. You wrote a thing for Noisy about how uh, the police are sort of taking a very dim view of it and linking it to killings. Is it the case that like
0: violent music leads to violence? So drill it has seen a kind of rehashing and more exaggerated form of a kind of argument we've had for years about violent music or unpalatable messages in music, you know, violent, misogynistic, or I guess to a lesser extent like racist kind of language in songs, you know, has been associated with a lot of moral panics, going back to gangster rap in the 90s and tracks like Ice-T's Cop Killer and to sort of some of the lyrics about Gats and Knives in So Solid Crew and other like UK Garage Acts music in the early, early 2000s. The difference with Drill is that, I mean, one of the most striking things is that it came to wider public attention first not because of the music reaching music fans uh, but because it was being used in court cases as evidence Mm -hmm. so particular music videos particular songs and their lyrics were being cited as evidence of violent intent um, either in a general abstract way or in a specific like i'm gonna come and fuck you up named individual here and this is in relation
1: to like recent knife
0: chrome spate in london yeah exactly so like the first reports really that you saw in the mainstream press about drill were not in the music sections right uh, of uh and that's because it was an incredibly niche uh like subculture specific to uh really young music fans in london yeah because just to be like really
1: ignorant for a second it's like drill is like from the u.s but it's like quite similar to grime, basically
0: stylistically it comes from chicago and chief keith this one rapper who is kind of the pioneer of it i suppose and it's an attitude but it's also a style of music which sort of sounds a bit like trap from the american south but yeah it journeyed from chicago to london a couple of years ago and very quickly sort of was taken up now it's changing musically a little bit in the last year in the last nine months and starting to sound a bit faster a bit more like Grime but it's basically a really slow nihilistic bleak as fuck kind of uh, style of rap music Um, and it's taken hold in exactly the same like working class council estates in in, in inner London particularly in like South London around Stockwell and Brixton and Campbellwell and Peckham and also North London in in Tottenham and then various parts of North West as well now, the, key, the big difference, like as I wrote in the, the piece I wrote for Noisy, between some of the earlier moral panics over like violent music compared to drill, is that mm. some of those descriptions of violence are really, really quite specific. And they're about very specific beefs between crews from rival estates really near to each other. Mm. Like re- really just like a mile or two away from each other. Um, because these crews are generally concentrated in one specific estate uh, most of the time. I argue in my book like that that reflects like a uh, the gentrification of london and particularly this these parts of south london where these estates are ever more isolated and roaming around is harder in a safe manner if you're a, a young black uh male basically in, in your teens like the idea of slipping being caught slipping i being caught outside of your area alone rather than like with your your crew or with you know with with other people, and the potential danger that you, that may befall you when that happens, is an incredibly common one for like for young black Londoners. Basically,
1: am I right in saying the the sort of recent development in drill and the state's relationship to it is that they're sort of
0: censoring one crew? The pinnacle that was reached like a week or so ago of state intervention in drill were, Yeah, was a criminal behaviour order or CBO, which is the follow-up to the notorious ASBO. But broadly, they're the same. Uh, and it's for things that aren't specific criminal offences. Mm-hmm. And they are... Given out to people who who are thought to be their behavior is thought to be a threat in some way, so the case that, that that came to court a couple of weeks ago regarded this crew ten eleven from West London were up on charges of conspiracy to commit violence after they were caught with machetes, baseball bats, knives, etc they in, initially ironically claimed in their defense that they were just props for a music video, which is which you know is plausible in that like that 's what a lot of the music videos look like. You know, really, just performative violence, like masks. Everything's very dark. You know, they they have a a certain sort of similarities with some sort of horror movies, almost in terms of the style. Mm. Um, They then eventually pled guilty to conspiracy to commit violence. And the violence that was intended was against a rival crew in a, from a nearby estate who they'd been having some beef with. They were sentenced accordingly as like within the criminal law, which meant they got sentences of like ranging from 10 months to about three years for conspiracy to commit violence. See, that would normally be the end of the case, right? Mm-hmm. But on top of that, they were like the police applied for a CBO against these same five guys denying them the opportunity to freely make whatever music they wanted and the specifics of the cbo are as follows they can make music mm-hmm. but if that music contains either violence discussion of weaponry or the specific postcodes that they are at war with they can theoretically still make that music but they have to ask the police's permission and they have to uh, do so like 24 hours before any music video is part they need to consent from the police and if they were to play any gigs like or shows they need to notify the police 24 hours ahead of time i mean and that's just fucking extraordinary really like the the police requested this from from the judge and the judge was 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 fine with that and thought yes that is a sensible thing to do now obviously they're going to be inside for the next period ranging from 10 months to 3 years but assuming they are released early or or indeed in, in 10 months time that will continue to affect them it was widely reported as unprecedented it's not actually unprecedented there there's the another instrument called a gang injunction or a gang bow like mm-hmm. like an asbo i guess but related to alleged gang activity uh which has been given out like to rappers there was one case in 2011 of a rapper from Peckham who was given a court order so not so. The point is, this is happening outside of criminal law, outside of regular sentencing. And I spoke to a solicitor last week, who, a human rights solicitor, called Eleanor Papamichael. We wrote a fantastic blog on this for her legal practices website, Hodge Jones and Allen, uh, basically saying this contravenes various human rights legislation, the European Convention on Human Rights, for example. And I'm aware that there are campaigners and activists who are currently looking into some kind of defend the right to drill like uh, campaign but also possibly a legal challenge i mean the obvious thing to say is though maybe i haven't said is this is part of a pattern of police and state racism against young black men primarily making rap music you know if they're like rapping about threatening to kill someone
1: or threatening to i don't know stab someone up and then mm. they stab someone up mm-hmm. when they- you're telling me that story my kind of like reflexive outrage about the police telling anyone mm. what they can and can't sing about
0: is like tempered by the sort of particulars there are cases when it's just there is an incredibly specific threat of violence that is issued that beef escalates in a very specific way between two mcs or two crews uh, rival crews it's hard to make a case that like all drill is entirely innocent now that doesn't mean we shouldn't also defend like the you know right to freedom of expression defend the you know make the argument that's always made of like people describing the horrendous conditions in which they're living and the the you know impossibility of escaping from like a life of petty crime and violence obviously that right should be defended absolutely and those people, kids should be listened to and they are uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so they're, they're all them. so young they're so like they're all teenagers the incredibly depressing and nihilistic content of drill music just like the knife crime figures themselves you know, reflect a horrendous reality that that dr- rapidly needs addressing, and it's it's both predictable and incredibly disappointing that all of the discussion is around whether this music is prompting violence, uh, and not the kind of deep social crisis affecting like mostly young boys, mostly young boys of colour on council estates in London.
1: I presuming there is some sort of like continuity between the police trying to stop people speak about their lives in drill, and some of the stuff that happened a few years ago on the grime scene
0: yeah absolutely like it's ironic in a way that this sort of police instituted moral panic over drill follows on the heels of form 696 being scrapped now form 696 is something i've written about a lot it's also something that noisy have made a really good film about featuring jme a piece of police paperwork, or rather was, we can now speak about it in the past tense, piece of police paperwork was introduced in 2005 to basically make it near impossible for people to put on grime and UK garage nights in London. Uh, so it's the Metropolitan Police specifically. And it did follow a period in, like between, say, 2000 2004 when there were some serious violent incidents at UK garage nights.
1: Does that like correspond to the progress of grime as a music that is like popular and successful because you know you've had this sort of almost it feels like almost like revival or, or like massive mainstream of grime recently with like storms you're going stratospheric and whatever and now it's like pretty much mainstream and like if you're like kind of semi-ignorant observer like me you're like oh yeah grime's a thing and then you remember that you were listening to pow when you were like <laughs> drinking loads of white lightning when you were like 14 <laughs> years old and you're like hang on grime's been around for fucking ages like yeah and is that was it the like the state's punitive relationship with it that made that
0: happen would, would we have seen grime sort of superstars 10 years earlier i mean arguably yes like uh, the trajectory of grime is is a sort of a sort of explosive birth around 2003 or four, out of the ashes of the UK garage scene that was basically having a Roman Empire-style decline and fall amidst its, you know, riches and sort of arrogance and opulence and stuff. Mm. And so out of that come these young, hungry kids like Dizzy Rascal. And again, there's a generational thing. They're all much younger. Dizzy wins the Mercury Prize in 2003. You know, Roll Deep and Wiley get signed to a label you know, along with, like, Shysty and Lethal Bizzle and one or two others. But then, yeah, that corresponds with the state's intervention, the police intervention over 696, and a sort of record industry and radio scene, uh, which I mentioned just because, like, BBC Radio 1 were never going to feature it, and One Extra, which had just been formed, wasn't that grime either. They, and they were kind of going, for, they would bring over US hip-hop imports before they would push forward sort of a homegrown talent. And so you saw a slump in the 696 years of the late 2000s. You saw music sort of cease to be a really dynamic, energetic kind of live music for the club and become a bit more what Lethal Bizzle once described to me as like iPod headphones laptop speakers in your bedroom type music rather than like a collective experience of a joyous like you know anarchic rave which is how it started that that was a bad thing that was depressing that was you know that like a lot of the musicians just drifted away a lot of the djs realized they couldn't get bookings and therefore even make something close to like making a living from their music they sort of left grime everyone basically left grime in the late 2000s with the exception of like a few Incredible stalwarts like people like um, people like Skepta, who in 2007 were saying to me, like, yeah, all well, these sellouts who are leaving Grime—they are fucking losers, man—and that's why Boy Better Know is going to be the biggest and best thing in Grime. And uh, you know, I was standing outside 93 Feet East after he just played to like 200 people, and the, his like self-confidence just seemed mm. to me like impressive, but also slightly misguided at the time. But the man was right, like, because yeah. then ten years later, he's winning. The Mercury Prize for his album, and since Form Six Nine Six has been scrapped last year, you've seen Grime take on a mainstream form in live terms, as well as sort of just you know Stormzy being this influential figure, Mm. and and Wiley being this revered Godfather figure. Like the way the music is performed live also reflects its more mainstream home now. So they'll play instead of there being clubs in places like Stratford where, you know, the night runs from 10 till 4 or something, Uh, they're playing gigs like normal bands or pop stars would in Mm. places like Brixton Academy that run from 7 till 11. And the police are much less concerned about places, things like that anyway, Mm. partly because they trust the security setups at places like Brixton Academy. Uh, It's partly about, like, venues that are owned by large chains like AEG those places are under... Like, the police just basically think they know what they're doing and let them get on with it, which is also a bad thing, unfortunately, because it means that, like, smaller clubs have always been more unfairly targeted. You know, clubs that are outside of the main entertainment hubs, I guess, of, like, Shoreditch and Brixton and stuff are always treated a lot more circumspectly and, 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 and more harshly by, by the cops, when it particularly when it comes to black music.
1: And so, guys, gone from this thing that, like, the state was literally kind of trying to stop happening to such a mainstream thing that, you know, Stormzy's probably one of the most influential sort of pop-cultural figures, I would say, in the UK at the moment. And then you had that moment uh, at the Brits where he was sort of baiting out Theresa May for... uh, Like, where's the money for Grenfell? Mm -hmm. I guess it's quite a sort of nice irony, this scene that was so, like, clamped down on is Mm -hmm. now just enormous and influential against the Conservatives who was the ones in government trying to do
0: this. The entire success of the grime scene is a vindication of just incredible perseverance and self-belief in the face of, you know, a mixture of contempt and ignorance and, yeah, condemnation, police and media scrutiny and attacks, Uh, and also just, like, a music industry that often just didn't care, really, in the mid-2000s, and, you know, uh, uh, the music industry actually specifically is amusingly kind of trying to catch up with Grimes DIY stuff now so like so many of these artists are not signed to labels and are raking in a lot of money and a lot of sales and a lot of influence um, and they're managed by their mates rather than by like an established music industry management company mm. um, and so you've got kind of music Week and stuff trying to catch up but politically yeah as you say the Brit Awards in February this year were just, uh, I think, the latest pinnacle in a series of events where Grime has sort of been a kind of vox populi, like speaking for, for you know, a public that have been marginalised, ignored, uh, and for a long time not represented in parliamentary politics. Mm. Uh, but I it's mean, the
1: sort of manifestation of Thatcherism,
0: right? You know, <laughs> arguably. So like, so so that was that was actually what uh, the Conservative Culture Minister, or former Conservative Culture Minister Matt Hancock, said, uh, when Skepta won the Mercury Prize, he was, he was there himself, Matt Hancock, because he likes to be seen at these kind of events, mm-hmm. was asked about grime by a Daily Mirror reporter. He replied, yeah, you know, we love grime in the Conservative Party because it represents the go-getting, like, entrepreneurial spirit of... I can't remember if he actually named Thatcher, but that was basically what he was saying. Like, you know, these these are... He's a no-nonsense DIY self-starters who don't need a handout from the state. Oh, that's right, he said, and this is a quote: "I don't like to wallow in poverty," so um, which was good of him, given that he went to a thirteen grand a year public school and like has degrees from Oxford and Cambridge. So, but he doesn't like other people to wallow in poverty. I, I, I think okay. is what he meant, which is nice of him. He also couldn't name a single tune. Like, he was <laughs> challenged as to what music he was listening to in the ministerial car. Um, so, lady, like,
1: do you think? there's any truth to it being, I don't know, like I guess we're all Thatcher's children these days. Mm-hmm. Do you think Grime is in some way like rugged individualism
0: or well that's American but you know what I mean? Like sure. There is a lot of entrepreneurial, like get up and go, self motivated sort of ideas and rhetoric around Grime. And and you know, a lot of these kids, particularly the ones from well, the ones from East London, grew up in the shadows of Canary Wharf, you know, the ultimate like totem to Thatcher sort of politics and economics. However, what is ignored by people like Matt Hancock when they say, like, grime is a Thatcherite genre, is the fact that this music was created collectively, for one thing. So, you know, it is something which only exists, really, because of young guys and, to a small extent, girls, like, in their teens in East London, bouncing ideas off each other, collaborating in pirate radio studios, in record shops you know, someone was asking me the other day, like, is grime a bedroom producer type genre? Uh, The idea of the bedroom producer only came along with, like, PCs being, like, computers, you know, everyone having a home computer. Mm. Um, And the answer is yes and no. Like, a lot of this music was made in bedrooms, but it was also made by more than one person in that bedroom. Mm. So someone like Tinchi Strider, when he was living on the Crossways Estate in Bo as a kid um, with his mum, would have, like, the entirety of Rough Squad and the East London grime scene into his, like, filing up the stairs, like, Hi, Mum, hi, <laughs> hi, Mr Strider, um, you know, and then into his bedroom where they would, like, you know, practice their bars and, and and cultivate, like, you know, new ideas about, like, how to pass the mic to each other, how to, like, link each other's bars together. I mean, it's also overlooked, and I've made, it, made sure to, like, mention this a lot in Inner City Pressure, There was state support that was really quite important, like both in the local youth clubs, like Ryan was flourishing in in youth clubs in East London. There's one youth club in uh, the Isle of Dogs that actually just cobbled together the money to put out Rough Squad's first single, for example, in 2003. They, you know, managed to find 500 quid from their budget to, like, put out their their first bit of vinyl. Uh, Dizzy School was famously, like, taught... Uh, A lot of his production techniques in school after he'd been expelled twice already and was about to be expelled the third time, but the head of music at his school Langdon Park just by the Balfour estate saw his genius basically and his potential and was like had a word with the head and was like you can just okay you can, for the rest of year 11 even though you've been kicked out and you're basically not going to do any GCSEs just sit in the music room and work on your music so, to stay out of trouble mm. basically and so kind of hard to argue it's a Thatcherite genre when it was created with such sort of you know subtle layers of state support a lot of which have been withdrawn now you know the, the riots in 2011 you know, corresponded with something like 11 youth clubs closing in Haringey, which doesn't mean that's the sole reason they happened, but, like, that's the background sort of ambiance to, like, urban unrest and disaffection.
1: And do you think that stuff is maybe some of the reason behind stuff like Grime for Corbyn for the last election?
0: Yeah, so Grime for Corbyn is, is a fantastic example, basically, of this, yeah, this generation, like, finding some solidarity and sympathy with of all things like parliamentary politics which just seemed impossible like at any other point like so unlikely but yeah you had aj tracy making an official labor election broadcast you had jme most notably like meeting corbyn in a cafe in islington to, to for a like very influential and important id uh magazine video in which he sort of quizzed corbyn during the election campaign about what, you know, people like him who'd never voted before and were considering voting for for Corbyn, like, why they should do that.
1: Was grime, like, before that, was grime political in a wider sense or, like, anti-political in a wider sense, or did it have a sort
0: of defined politics? I mean, yes, it was imp- implicitly political and situated in a history of kind of energetic, anti-establishment dance music. It didn't have a wealth of, like, clear political messages, though there is a sub sort of set of a few MCs who would spit bars about uh, important figures in in black radical history, Malcolm X, Marcus Garvey, etc. Like, they, they crop up, but a lot less so than, a uh, you know, the term that's used about reggae and hip-hop is conscious reggae or conscious hip-hop to describe stuff that is... Uh, politically conscious basically there wasn't really much conscious grime in its early days and yet like the political power of a tune like POW is undeniable to anyone who's heard it like you know it sounds like a riot starting it has that incredible like ferocious punk energy and then sure enough when in 2010 Uh, students and sixth formers across the uk were were protesting over the scrapping of the education maintenance allowance and the tripling of tuition university tuition fees i was in parliament square on the like culmination of those student protests when we were kettled for nine hours by the police when people you know students were almost killed by like police aggression and the music that was playing in the kettle outside the house of commons was pow by by lethal bizzle and you know I, i subsequently wrote about that a lot and Showing him the like video, of, he he understood its power. He was like, "That's its power. Like that's you know." it's like, "Hair standing on the back of my on my ne- back of my neck is standing up." Like, you know, it's got that like "fuck you" energy, and so it makes it, it makes perfect sense that like my fans are playing this outside Parliament.
1: So with grime having had so much attention from the state, and then it becoming more explicitly p- political, and grime for Corbyn being a thing, I'm wondering there seems to be a bit of a contradiction in my mind that. Um, so many grime artists being all for Corbyn now, and then Corbyn's Labour Party wanting there to be more police on the streets. And I'm wondering if you think that is a contradiction and what do you think it
0: says about where we're going with it? It would be hard to deny that, like, the support of the grime scene for Corbyn last summer was based on incredibly deep, like... Research into the policy platform because you know musicians are musicians, and they're most likely to back a candidate if they have a, you know, a general sense that that person is their kind of person, that they, that you know, they are in the right spirit, and you know, with the exception of Akala, who wrote a very detailed article. Uh, around the time of the election explaining why he was voting for the first time and Labour's relationship with imperial (laughs) imperialism in the post-war period how Labour had long been like an imperialist party but he was convinced by Corbyn's foreign policy stuff you know Akala is fairly is unique in that respect I think for most musicians like it was a fairly weak tie to to Corbyn not to understate its importance though and it, it was hugely important getting over a million young people to vote uh also registered to vote anyway that never never done so before there are definitely parts of corbyn's current or Labour's current like policy platform that i think don't sit so well uh with people from like working class backgrounds who are people of color and are subject to like being stopped and searched all the all the fucking time Saying that, I mean, there's an MC called Dave from Streatham in South London, who is not a grime MC, but a, like a rapper, really phenomenally talented, incredibly smart. You know, like great tune called Question Time, in which he actually addresses Corbyn, May, Cameron, and I think possibly Blair, like one at a time with a series of like very, very incisive questions. And he called for an increase in stop and search recently which is a very controversial thing for a young black guy with a huge public profile to do Mm. Um, he was challenged by basically everybody on this like what the fuck are you saying bro he subsequently released a really interesting tune about knife crime and violent crime in London in which he, you know, went back on his request for more stop and search, and but he explained where that thought had come from. Like, a friend of his had been stabbed recently, and he was feeling at the end of his tether, essentially, in terms of, like, we've got to do something. Yeah. And, like, frankly, uh, like, anything, and you know, we'll do at this at this point. And, you know, he, he later quickly, like, changed his mind and said, no, okay, um, you know, we do not need this to be happening. But, yeah, I don't think that there's going to be a long and fulsome relationship between between the grime scene and Corbyn's Labour Party um, I mean it's one of like policing is one of many areas where where people who I think broadly speaking on the left need to keep them in check and need to be lobbying them uh, from the left to to pull them left essentially if there is a, a likelihood of a Labour government at some point uh, in the near future so in the,
1: in the book you sort of explain so well how grime came from this like particular geography and like architecture of the city and set of social relations uh, I think it's really interesting when you're explaining how Dizzy Rascal could like always see Canary Wharf and it was like this weird like almost alien yeah. planet Yeah, um, I'm wondering what do you think the future of youth subculture in London is mm. when those so- I mean so like the social relations you explain were obviously quite sort of fraught already and difficult for a lot of these people but we, we all know we're sort of living in a city which is becoming more fraught and difficult yeah. all the time yeah. and do you think that will like facilitate more people expressing themselves about that or do you think that there's a problem that like the literal kind of stuff you need like you're saying youth centres or whatever mm-hmm. will not exist for certain people
0: yeah, I mean, that's it's a really good question. Like, it's a very broad question. You know, no. it, What's the future of music? <laughs> I think, I mean, the point is, I think music is, well, urban music, i.e. music from a city as opposed to... Um, like Country. The, yeah, is like shaped by the its environment, like incredibly directly. And so... I've written a lot about the gentrification of London, both for Vice uh, and and elsewhere, and also in this book, because I think the gentrification of London is intensely t- clo- like connected to the, how like London music, and that like, means grime, and then things like road rap and drill more recently, um, are shaped by it too. I mean, my theory about drill, as I've written in the epilogue to the book, is that it's claustrophobia and intensity... Uh, and the like intensity of its nihilism and violence is so different actually from grime like grime may have had like violent lyrics now and then but they seem so playful and lighthearted by comparison mm. to, to kind of drill music like really just seems like a fun knockabout kind of uh, <laughs> genre compared to drill and and it makes sense to me that these those crews those drill crews are as I was saying like concentrated on one estate that is a mile away from the next estate in and the space in between those two estates is now increasingly like luxury flats and you're seeing references to that in some drill tunes mm. um if you live near Elephant and Castle where you know which is being developed at a rate of knots or or uh, or voxel for that matter you know one of my favorite uh, drill crews Harlem Spartans are positioned directly between Vauxhall and, and Elephant and Castle. Two areas that when I was growing up in South London were you know meh, just like every like were neither one thing nor another, like a bit middle class, a bit working class, a bit you know um some old people, some young people, some young professionals like but but neither one thing nor the other, and those places are rapidly becoming sites only for uh, middle-class young professionals.
1: Under the guise of mixed communities. <laughs> Under
0: the guise of mixed communities, exactly, which was like a new Labour plan from the get-go. And and I must, I must say, as someone who's written about gentrification a lot in the last five to ten years, I didn't realise until I started researching this book that it was a very deliberate plan from New Labour, and, and it has a name. It was called the Urban Renaissance Plan, like there are whole books on it, which I had to read in order to write this history of crime. Yeah. In order to discover that New Labour looked at the run-down parts of the inner city and thought the best way to fix this is to get middle class, the middle classes, to come back from the home counties, to get every like graduating student to move to London because that's where the work is, and that's that's what's happening. And that you know we need the, those people with money to live in and around and actually in the council estates because they'll you know they'll have a good effect on the others. Is sort is sort of the the thinking behind. A mixed community. Mm. Fortunately, these mixed communities are getting less and less mixed and more and more stratified with like rich and poor living what next to each other and never interacting, essentially. And do you think that already that already massively influenced Grime? That was emerging at the at the In fact, Grime was kind of at the epicentre of the sort of pioneering spirit of that of that new London, in that it's right next to Canary Wharf and it's privately owned public space so like the the bits outside the buildings in Canary Wharf are all privately owned they're not yeah. and, and so and so security guards can ask you to leave without you having done anything just because they don't like the look of you say for example because you're like a group of black teenagers wearing hoodies which is what used to happen to people like Dancy Strider and his friends you know when I asked him about growing up in Bow and Poplar just right next to Canary Wharf you, you know he said to me well, that always—it was always gleaming and shiny, and it felt like somewhere that we weren't supposed to be. That, that's right. Like the urban design is 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 deliberately confected in that way. And then I guess so.
1: In terms of London, that sort of dynamic is intensifying,
0: and maybe the music will intensify with it. Yeah, I mean that's that's my feeling. That that would make sense, although what happens to drill next musically is is going to be really interesting actually because it's ch- like the production style's changing quite rapidly uh it's mingling with this kind of african west african influence Afrobeats influenced uh sound which is being called variously afro swing afro wave afro bashman which is more sort of summary and poppy and uses a lot of auto tune on the vocals and I mean, I fucking love it. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's the opposite of drill, which is just obviously so nihilistic. There are a bunch of new hybrids waiting to be formed. But yeah, my working theory is that the intensity of drill is based on the claustrophobia and isolation of those council estates within London. Uh, so assuming things keep moving in that direction, there's no reason to think that intensity will die down.
1: Thanks to our guest, Dan Hancock's check out his excellent book inner city pressure the story of grime out on william collins my name is simon childs home affairs editor of vice.com the british dream was produced by sam bottom at rethink audio we'll see you in a couple of weeks but before we get back to our lives i actually asked dan to read out an extract from his book just to give you guys a flavor here it is
0: While the turbo-gentrification of inner London since Grimes' inception has pushed poor people further and further out as their estates are methodically demolished or sold off and rents soar to prohibitive new heights, the urban renaissance is also making life harder for those who remain in the inner city's increasingly isolated social housing blocks. With this process, not to mention Tory cuts to benefits, youth services and the removal of EMA has come a further narrowing of opportunities and horizons for young people from poor backgrounds and a further intensification of postcode wars, youth violence and territorialism. 2017 saw the highest number of teenage murders in London since 2008 and a 47% rise in knife crime incidents. Four teenagers were stabbed to death in London on New Year's Eve alone. Inevitably, you can hear this in the music being made on inner London's council estates, most notably in the rise of Drill, a branch of the rap family tree that originated in the south side of Chicago and has been thriving on the UK underground in the last couple of years, if thriving is an appropriate word for a genre as dark and nihilistic as Drill. Grime lyrics were home to a certain amount of gun and knife talk, only some of which, it is fair to assume, bore a relationship to the MC's direct real-life experience. Drill crews talk about almost nothing else. Virtually every track centres on a world of postcode wars, drug dealing and violent crime. Quote, The roads ain't fun anymore, 6.7's Y.S.J. spits on Lambeth maps, capturing the mood. There is even a bleak, dead-eyed austerity to the artist's choice of names. On that track, 6.7's Y.S.J., R6 and ST address their three local ops or rival crews, namely 410, 150 and 17. 17. The cover artwork for the Lambeth Maps EP depicts a kids' book-style treasure map of the borough with piles of gold bullion, guns, snakes and treasure chests. The musical accounts of leaving their ops, quote, dripping in sauce are slightly less playful and lend the map a much more ominous aspect. Another young South London drill crew, Harlem Spartans, have channelled the grandstanding sonics and epic energy of grime more than most. In songs like Kent Nizzy and Kennington Where It Started, two stunning neighbourhood anthems released within a month of each other in early 2017, Drill's intensification of the hyperlocalism and claustrophobia of grime is at its most startling and lucid. They pay tribute to, quote, Kennington, where my heart is. But like most Drill, it is a defensive pride accompanied by a richly poetic but nonetheless grim enumeration of drug dealing, knives and guns, where they, quote, scrap fast at Waterloo like Wellington, try and rip holes and touch man's skeleton. where quote cctv can vouch for the squaddy if grime is claustrophobic this sound is positively smothering